Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Mum Talk, hosted by myself, Emma Jolin, mum to Amandine, who was born in September 2018. If you are new here on this podcast, I share my journey as a mum from pregnancy to life with a baby, now toddler, sharing all the highs and all the lows. Not only am I joined by incredibly knowledgeable guests, some experts in their field, but also mums and dads sharing their experience of pregnancy and parenthood. As always, you can trust in mum talk to be honest real and informative and provide plenty of nod along and me too moments wherever you may be thank you for listening and enjoy being part of today's conversation Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Mum Talk, Series 7, Episode 6. And I am joined today by the wonderful Dr. Stephanie Uwe, who is kindly sharing with us her birth story. She has a seven-week-old little girl who was born in the peak of COVID-19. And it's a wonderful birth story to share. We're also discussing her IVF journey because her newborn is an IVF baby and we haven't spoken about IVF experiences on the podcast before. So I thought this was a lovely opportunity to do that and Stephanie very kindly um, shared her experience with us. So without further ado, here is my chat with Stephanie that we had just yesterday. All right. Let's dive straight in because I want to make the best yeah. use of the time that we have. Um, sure. So you're a doctor and of course a mum to two now. Mm-hmm. Um, a three-year-old, is that right? And a newborn just seven weeks old? Yes, exactly. Um, just three and seven weeks old. So funnily enough, their birthdays are just one day apart. No. <laughs> yes. Oh <laughs> yeah. my goodness. So the due date was actually on my, um, my eldest's birthday. Um, so we thought, I mean, you know, who knows what could happen. Um, but this one ended up coming the day before. Um, but luckily, everything was okay in hospital. I'm sure we'll get to that. Um, and then we managed to get home in time for her birthday, which was nice. Oh, my goodness. How special. <laughs> I'm guessing that wasn't planned. <laughs> no, it was not. <laughs> oh, but how brilliant. I bet they'll love to have joint birthday parties when they grow, when they're, you know, growing older and things. That would yeah, be so lovely. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure they will. Um, so how are you, first of all, and how's your fourth trimester going? Feeling okay, actually. I I, I think I'd read a lot about kind of the jump from one to two being mm. a bit crazy, and it definitely is. And I, I think I thought I would be more tired. I don't know, maybe, a, maybe just as a parent, you get used to like a basal level of tiredness already. So... <laughs> it's not much different um but also I think at the beginning certainly from what I remember from my eldest um you're kind of running on a lot of adrenaline I Mm. think at the beginning and I think I've probably maybe still in that period I remember getting to maybe about 12 weeks first time and then suddenly feeling oh gosh I'm exhausted Mm. um so I don't know, maybe that is to come. I, you know, I am, you know, it, it is tiring and it is a bit mad and, and crazy. Um, but also at the same time, I think the things that make me feel less tired and kind of a little bit better during the day are things like getting out of bed and getting changed and having a shower or something like that. And I think that if you've got a toddler at home, you kind of have no choice but to get up out of bed and kind of get on with the day. So Mm. in a way, I feel like 
it's tiring and it makes it harder mm. but it also makes it a little bit easier in a strange way it's yeah kind of lots of little things yeah I can relate actually even in the afternoon and I kind of hit my slump I'm sure most mums hit their slump around like four o'clock half past four yeah and Amaldina literally always around that time goes walk walk and I'm thinking oh gosh no but then it I feel so much better once I've gone outside and I've yeah. gone for a walk with her and you get re-energized and it's lovely that they do that isn't it and they give you that energetic ump for the rest of the day <laughs> yeah exactly no you're right that afternoon slump is um is hard and kind of the pre-bath time mm. thing as well where you think okay I'm gonna have to motivate myself mm. <laughs> a bit more to, to actually do this mm. um but very lucky as well to have my husband around and like you know we've divided the responsibility so he's very much responsible for my daughter in the morning kind of getting her fed and changed and things and then now that nurseries are open so we've decided to send her back to nursery um so he'll take her then which is you know it's very um I feel very fortunate to have someone at home who can kind of at least take that um load off me Mm. as well um I can imagine that if you're you know at home by yourself with a couple of kids you know it's really really tough oh absolutely was she excited to go back to nursery she was I think she really really needed to as well you could tell she's just started kind of going up to groups of people in the park and just following them around so I think she definitely needed that kind of interaction with other little people mm-hmm. and how has she responded to having a baby sister do you know what, actually she has been amazing she really has um she loves her so much she Aww. was so excited when we first brought her home uh we've got this very cute photo of her sitting on our doorstep um, with the um, with the car seat next to her and she's just got this kind of her little hands up in front of her face and she's just so excited to see her um, so she's been yeah actually she's been great and she wants she likes to come in in the mornings and have cuddles with her sometimes a little bit you know as toddlers can get a little bit overexcited mm. um, she thinks she can do more than she can she can lift her up so we you know we can't leave them in the room together because I'm pretty sure she would lift her up and try and take her somewhere um, <laughs> you know and a bit yeah but it's it's great um, she's been she's been really great and I think you know we just didn't know how she was going to respond mm. um I think maybe because she's three, you know, just turned three, she understands it a little bit more. Mm. Um, we were talking about it for the whole time of pregnancy, so much to the point that at the end she got a bit bored, I think. <laughs> she, <laughs> and she would be like, Mummy, it's taking a long time. <laughs> and I was like I know sorry maybe we started a little bit too early Um, when did you start out of interest if you don't mind me asking um start talking to her about it yeah Mm. really early on actually so I think probably before yeah from about five six weeks Mm -hmm. um that's when we kind of started introducing the idea to her Mm. and then around Christmas time we got her a dolly um the baby doll with like a cot and everything so you know she could kind of role play I guess you know baby and and kind of taking care of her and things like that so um 
yeah, we just spoke to her about it a lot as well. And we're very much careful to say, you know, this is your baby, you know, mm. like your baby sister and um, kind of involve her in getting things, you know, getting the room ready or mm. doing things for her or kind of explaining little things to her. Mm. I know a lot of people recommended a lot of books to me, actually, like storybooks to read to her. Um, oh, yeah. I didn't actually end up buying them. Um um, so she, I guess she was okay without them, but I think there are lots of really helpful story books as well that, um, that you can read. Yeah. Someone mentioned to me, um, about buying them a gift from the baby to them. Oh, did yes. you do that? Yeah. Yes, we did actually. We did, um, bought her because obviously she had loads of gifts for her birthday as of well. Course, yeah. <laughs> so we thought, God, this is going to be gift overload. Um, so actually we spread out the gifts over a period of a couple of weeks, which has oh, also nice. been handy with kind of just directing her whilst you know maybe I'm feeding or something like that as well um but yeah we bought her a little um like fairy wings and wand from the baby oh cute (laughs) um so yeah she liked that (laughs) oh that's so adorable that's so sweet (laughs) so before we get on to your best story which of course was during well the peak of COVID-19 um which you're very kindly going to share with us we chatted very briefly um, about going through your IVF journey and sharing a little bit of that with us. Um, so yes. if you're happy to still do that, that would be really insightful, I think, for a lot of us um, listening. Um, yeah. So first of all, was your eldest daughter an IVF baby? No, she wasn't. So we had had IVF treatment. Um, so... Uh, we'd had a, what the first round of actual IVF treatment um, that didn't work. So she was, uh, okay, so this was in July um, 2000 and gosh, 2016. Um, so we had our, we, you know, obviously had been trying for a little while, had kind of gone through all the tests, investigations, things seemed okay. And then we actually got to the point where we thought, okay, well, let's go, let's try um, a round of IVF. So we did that, but unfortunately that didn't work. Um, and she miraculously came along the month amazing. after. Amazing. Yeah. And I remember sitting, we had, after it didn't work, obviously we were pretty devastated mm. and you have a follow-up consultation with the consultant. And I remember sitting there and him saying, do you know what? Just keep trying there because you never know what might happen. You know, I've seen it happen before. And I remember us looking at each other, you know, I was looking at my husband thinking, whatever, you know okay you know he's just trying to be nice or something and just thinking that it wouldn't happen but yeah it did um which was just incredible uh so she wasn't an IVF baby but you know I have no doubt that the IVF treatment somehow played into it you know you're uh giving yourself hormonal injections and things Mm -hmm. like that so you know maybe it was a bit of a reset or something you know I'm, I'm not sure of the actual scientific theory behind it I don't think they you know there is a specific um explanation let's say um even the consultant said you know sometimes we just see it happen we don't necessarily know you know the specifics about why Mm. um but yeah it did so um do you believe very very grateful for her oh yeah do you believe that um one of my friends said this to me that they also had a round of IVF um or actually maybe they didn't in the end but they'd gone they were due to have their first round of IVF Mm-hmm. Um, and then she conceived literally just before they were due to have it. And she truly believes that it's because she just relaxed and she let her body just, it was out of her hands. They'd made the decision and she just relaxed mm-hmm. and then they conceived. And so we're, we're trying and 
at the moment failing for our second and everyone keeps saying to me just relax 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 but it's so hard to just relax what are your thoughts on that as a GP and also being going through it yourself yeah I completely agree with you I think it's it's very hard to relax isn't it and as much as people you know tell you to do that and as much as you might think okay well this is what I'm going to do you know Mm. it's it's something that's important to you and you know you you probably are relaxed enough Mm. you know I I think it's (laughs) it's a really it's a really tricky one and I remember that um I remember feeling you know is it something that you know you when you're trying and if it's not happening you very much reflect on well there must be something wrong and you know is it is it to do with me is it to do with something that we're doing and you kind of start picking apart lots of different things Mm. um and so I think that you know for people to say you know just you know maybe it's because you're not relaxed enough I think sometimes I understand it's it's well meant oh yeah um but I think sometimes if you're in that situation, um, it can be a difficult thing to hear mm. um, because you think, because then it, you, it puts the onus on you that it's because you're not relaxing, which is why this isn't happening. Yeah. Which isn't, which isn't true, really. Um, mm. You know, again, like I said, I I'm not aware of any scientific, you know, proven theory to say, yes, if you are, you know. <laughs> relaxed if you are you know what does that even mean a state of relaxation anyway um that that it will happen so I think that yes certainly there are lots of you know stories like ours or your friends you know and there will be lots of other you know I've met patients as well very similar stories um but I I don't think it's all just down to that at all no um and I think that uh you know there are lots of people on the on Instagram for example who are talking about fertility and people who are going through treatment etc um and there's a real drive at the moment to kind of think about language that people are using around fertility and you know how you express certain things um and this is one of the phrases that has come up actually to kind of just you know as well you know people will be like oh just you know just relax you know it's and it will happen and you think you know I'm I'm pretty sure it won't yeah (laughs) yeah 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 so So, did you go straight for IVF for your newborn or how did that did you know you needed it or yeah I mean we kind of thought that you know we thought that we would probably have to head down that route again just Mm -hmm. because it happened the first time um so but we didn't want to wait as long so for my for our first um we started seeking help after about a year of Mm -hmm. not trying um of of trying sorry and it not happening um but this time it was about after about six months we thought okay you know maybe we should we went back and saw um the consultant again and, and went back to the clinic um and they just said yeah let's just you know let's just um get going with you know, you have to do a few, few tests again, but, um, you know, they were happy to carry on with treatment. That was, um, private though. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that with, with, you know, with a second child, you would actually, you would have to go privately. So, you know, we were very fortunate that we were able to do that because, you know, again, it's, as well as psychological, physical, um, impacts financially as well, you know, fertility treatment is really expensive. Mm. Um, so there are lots of kind of different factors, but yes, we went back after six months, um, 
we'd because we'd done the IVF the first time we've managed to free some embryos from that um, cycle. So we had five embryos that were frozen um, that we were able to use. So I didn't, so when you're going through, there are lots of different types of treatment cycles. Um, the first time, because I was, we were starting essentially from scratch, they kind of had to do everything. So they had to, you've got to collect the eggs, you've got to fertilize the eggs and, you know, put you through that, which is, you know, physically quite, uh, um, yeah, has quite a, takes its toll on you for sex for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but this time round, it was a little bit more relaxed, let's say, because we already had the embryo, so we didn't need to do all of the egg collection. In fact, mm-hmm. we didn't have to go through that process again, essentially. Um, so yeah, so they essentially kind of set me up, um, got me to a, a point where it was a good time to transfer the embryos. Uh, we went, you go in on the day and then that's when they actually thaw the embryos. Um, and you kind of, you're kind of like waiting to hear how many, because there is a chance that when they thaw them, that they don't survive. Um, so we got a call to say that actually only one out of all five, um, had survived, um, which they said was actually quite unusual, um, I'd actually signed a piece of paper to say that I was happy for them to transfer two embryos, but clearly that wasn't going to happen. Um, so yeah, one, one embryo got transferred that day. We were a bit down about it, to be honest, because we thought, gosh, you know, IVF didn't work the first time that was, and we, I had two embryos transferred then this time round, you know, there's only one that survived out of five. Um, so we were already kind of planning what our next steps were to be honest um yeah and then you have that horrible two-week wait well it was actually about 10 days um until you have the pregnancy test and they do you can do either a urine test or this clinic does a blood test um to check so that's those 10 days are really really hard because you're trying not to think about it you're trying to do all of those things you're like i need to relax yeah, um, yeah. But, you know how, how do you how do you relax really um so yeah, that was a that was a hard time, but then, very fortunately, um, I went in in the morning, did the blood test, and then they phoned me about a couple of hours later um, to to give us the good news, which Amazing. was yeah. I think we were in total shock to mm. be honest, because like I said, we just we weren't as hopeful um, mm. and already planning the next steps. So. Yeah, that oh, was, um, huge that, was a great, that was a great day. <laughs> yeah, I bet, I bet. Oh, huge congratulations. Yeah, thank you. I couldn't, um, I remember picking up the phone and I I started talking and, and then I just burst into tears because Aww. she didn't even, she was just confirming my name and date of birth and I just couldn't, and my husband was a bit, I said, you have to speak to her. I was like, I can't. Um, but yeah, no, it was, um, uh, feel very lucky and obviously got the outcome that we wanted, which was great. Oh, so lovely. Well, I, mean, we're, I know exactly what you mean, obviously not from an IVF point of view, but the kind of two weeks after trying to conceive and you're trying yeah. not to think about the time. But, and of course, because of COVID and being at home so much and not kind of being able to distract the mind a huge amount, we've been feeling exactly the same. And I mean, we've been trying for 
I think, was it like eight, nine months now? And when I called the GP and um, a few podcasts ago, I was chatting with my listeners about, you know, I don't want to call. And one of the questions actually is about this, so we might as well cover mm-hmm. this now. But yeah, I felt really bad about calling my GP to talk about, you know, where I stand, what we should be doing because of COVID-19. And I was, mm-hmm. I didn't know how the GP would take the phone call because I know there's been yeah. some advice out there to say well don't necessarily try right now and of course all the fertility clinics they stopped for a time didn't they yeah um, and the doctor I eventually bucked up the courage to call my GP and she Good. just said well we won't we won't look at you until you've been trying for 18 months for a second baby which I thought was a little bit harsh <laughs> yeah okay I I mean in terms of the guidelines um, for any kind of further investigations, um, it would be 12, yeah, 12 months mm. um, if you're under the age of 35. Mm. Um, but actually, if you're over the age of 35, then it's six months mm. that they would start kind of just doing, you know, offering a few blood tests and things like that. So that's mm. interesting. I think we'll try, you know, for, and up until 12 months, and then I think I'll call again because... It seems like a very long time, 18 months, <laughs> to be trying. Yeah. yeah, I think so. And also, you know, if you think about, you know, the, the decision, say you see them and the decision to have tests done, it doesn't, you know, those tests aren't happening that day. Mm. That takes some time as well. So I don't know. But I guess for me, again, you know, if I see anyone who's been trying for a little bit longer, I'll, you know, maybe my perspective is a little bit skewed. But, you know, certainly from um, a guidelines point of view, I don't think it's different for for second babies as far as I'm aware um so it would still yeah I think 12 months is a good idea to go back and have another chat with them I think so and the question that we did have about that was um thoughts now on trying to conceive and will GP be sympathetic to any problems conceiving um and I'm assuming that the ask of the question means around COVID-19 yeah so there aren't any, like you kind of alluded to before, there aren't any official guidelines um, for those who are not going through fertility treatment. Um, obviously, fertility clinics, et cetera, kind of had their own protocols and that was the decision made. Although, like you said, now clinics are starting to open up mm. um, for fertility treatment. There are no strict guidelines if you're not having treatment. Um, so really, it's a personal decision. I would have said that in the thick of it, let's say, when we were kind of, you know, in really strict lockdown and, you know, getting towards the peak of cases, it, it was a, it's a tricky thing because there were lo- there are lots of things to think about. There's, you know, certainly once you're pregnant, it was thinking about, well, what's the care going to be like afterwards? What do you like as also as a person if you are someone who tends to get maybe a little bit more anxious around pregnancy or, mm. have, you know, health anxiety, for example, which is very common um how are you going to be how is that going to affect your you from a mental health point of view being pregnant and going through you know a a pandemic Mm. um and also if there are hopefully everything would would be fine with pregnancy but if you encountered any problems how easy would it be to access medical care etc obviously you know it's important to know that hospitals are still open etc but you know the those are all the things to 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 think about Mm. and I think that at the you know at that time I would have said you know just to carefully consider it now that things are let's say a little bit more settled um COVID is still around 
again, it is a personal decision. I don't think it's wrong to, to be trying at mm-hmm. all. And I think that the truth of this, all of this is that this virus is not going anywhere anytime soon. We're not going mm-hmm. to be eradicating it completely. Um, it's going to be hanging around for the next, you know, who knows how long, um, but hopefully just more at a controlled level. So because you can't predict it, I would say, you know, how long would you then hold off for? Mm. Um, so I think it's very reasonable to be, you know, wanting to try, you know, to be trying now whilst things are a little bit more settled. I feel like it's going to be kind of part of our lives for for, for a while so mm. no reason to put off um trying to conceive and also because you don't know how long it's going to take no. you know certainly from our point of view as well with any friends or family for example we're, we always say just just try you might not feel like it's the right time but just you know give it a go because you don't know how long it will take and you know maybe <laughs> we really have to go through what we've been through but at least you kind of give yourself a better chance in a way yeah absolutely I agree okay so let's go on to your birth story during COVID-19 so how did things unfold for you I'm just going to grab my laptop charger but do keep chatting (laughs) yeah of course um so uh I went into so I had a vaginal delivery um I guess that's uh, I guess talking about this, maybe I should give a little bit of background to how to my eldest. So our first delivery. So first delivery three years ago was a vaginal delivery. Um, and, you know, it was long. <laughs> um, because I was in labor for about 40, yeah, 46 hours or so. Oh, wow. Thinking about it. Um, so it's so quite a long time. Um, but it was a vaginal delivery. Things were okay afterwards. Didn't have any complications, luckily, which was good. So um, I guess I had the green light in a way to just go ahead and, and try again for, for a similar delivery. Um, I started having contractions at about three in the morning. Um, so funny enough, my toddler had just kind of woken up. I just settled her back to sleep and I got, got back into bed and thought, Oh, this feels a little bit strange. Um, it just felt like, yeah, I was definitely in early labor. I had kind of stomach cramps and things. I was a lot better at recognizing it. The first time I thought that I had food poisoning. Oh, no. <laughs> I know. It was because it happened on my due date. And um, last time, and my husband and I, we decided to go out for like a, you know, a lunch to say, oh, well, it's, you know, happy due date. Who knows what will happen? And we'd had the same thing. And he complicated things by saying yeah my stomach's been feeling a bit funny today as well so I just thought this must be food poisoning but obviously his settled down and mine just got worse um so it's always something that we joke about but this time it definitely was like stomach cramps um and I I thought no this is early labor this is not food poisoning that's so (laughs) Um, funny so it started about three in the morning and then I think second time around in general things just happen a little bit quicker and kind of progress a bit faster so um, my contractions were happening about every five minutes or so um, but manageable but I gave the ward a ring anyway just to let them know um, Mm. so that kind of 
highlight myself and say hello and they said great we'll just stay at home as long as you're comfortable and just see how things go call us back if they're getting more frequent or you feel like they're getting a bit more painful um, or if you're worried about baby's movements as well if baby's not moving as much in between contractions so then it got to about six o'clock in the morning and I thought "Mm, okay these are about the same in terms of frequency getting more painful but manageable still but I wasn't feeling her move as much um and actually uh the week before I'd been in because I'd been in just for some monitoring as well because again I didn't feel like she was moving as much um so I rang them and they said okay well if you're worried about movements just come in so went to the um it wasn't labor ward it was the assessment unit that I went to um just to have some monitoring done essentially um but my husband wasn't allowed in with me then because birth partners at that time and I believe still at the moment they're only allowed into um into the ward or the birth center wherever you are when you're in active labor right um so active labor meaning you know regular contractions um sometimes they'll examine you and say that you've got to be kind of around four centimeters four or five centimeters dilated um so he kind of had to wait outside and just kind of see what was happening hooked me up to the monitoring everything was fine so that was good so they said look you can either go home if you're feeling comfortable or um you know stay here see how things progress a little bit um and then I think uh you know and then we'll just we'll just see I think they thought I was it was very early stages at that time Mm. um but actually whilst I was there I started walking around and there is a reason that they recommend walking around during early labor because that really kicked things off the things were getting a lot more frequent and more painful um so I said that I think I'm going to need some pain relief now. Um, so then that's when they decided to move me over to labor ward. So I moved over to labor ward at about 11 o'clock in the morning. And then my husband, he'd actually popped home quickly because I, said, I don't know how long I'm going to be here for. And we don't live far away from the hospital. Um, so he came back, joined me on labor ward. Um, so that was at about, yeah, 11 o'clock. And then... Thing, and then I then I actually got examined then, um, and I was how many? Gosh, I can't even remember now. <laughs> I was six centimeters. I was six centimeters oh, dilated. Wow. Yeah. So things had progressed quite quickly. Um, I knew that I wanted an epidural, um, just because of you know my experience last time. I had an epidural, but it was quite late on. So I just thought, you know what, I would just like to get that in early. Um, so they asked um, someone to come along and a consultant actually did my epidural um, and I didn't have to wait very long at all. It was about five, 10 minutes. I think that's maybe a concern that a lot of people have at the moment is, you know, people are stretched in hospital, you know, no one's going to be around, but actually at my hospital anyway, all of the, the junior, more junior staff, let's say had been um, diverted elsewhere. So it was a purely right. consultant led service. So, oh, wow. Um, it was actually great and Mm. because the hospital actually wasn't as busy Mm. um, he could come um, sooner as Mm. well so you know I would say to anyone if they're concerned about that actually you know not to be worried at all Um, and actually labour ward itself was really really quiet um, and quite chilled out yeah it was and um I think that they had said that at the time, a lot of people had moved out of London 
maybe elsewhere I think it well, maybe it's the area but I think either people have gone to live with family or just people just wanted to get out of London because of the high number of cases um so that's why they thought that actually it was a lot um quieter uh yeah so I had the epidural so then after that I was a lot more comfortable um and then things actually slowed down, which can happen with an epidural because with an epidural, as you become less mobile, you know, you're, mm. you're basically numb from the waist down, so you can't move around. So what can happen is that the contractions can slow down, they can become less intense, um, which is what happened. They noticed when they're on the, mon- you know, on the monitor, they noticed they just weren't happening as much. So I ended up having to have a drip started. So you can have a drip that is started to just kind of boost the contractions, get them going and kind of um, make them a little bit stronger and just kind of get things back on track. Um, So fortunately, that helped and you can kind of increase the doses according to, you know, how you're responding. But yeah, kind of got me back on track, which was good. Um, And then by about four o'clock, examined me again and said, yep, okay. 10 centimeters dilated you know things have gone really well let's let's start to push um and then she was out in half an hour oh amazing even less i think it's like 20 it was about 20 minutes um so your body really knew what to do yes i think second time around definitely again this pushing phase this time around was a lot shorter than than the other than the first time around um but there's this phase that everyone talks about um and maybe people who uh, have given birth will be able to look back on it and reflect and say, yes, that happened to me. But it's the transition phase. And I don't know if you... Yeah, definitely. Um, between, yeah, that phase of uh, being 10 centimetres dilated and kind of ready to push, you suddenly kind of feel like, I can't do this. Yeah. And, you know, you start to get really, really anxious. So, which is awful for you to feel, but for the midwives is a great thing to see because they think, okay, good, that means that she's ready and things get going. Um, so, yeah, that was really, I, I, I had it last time, but it was really, uh, what's the word? It, I, it was very significant for me this time. And I think it's because with the epidural, I had felt quite calm because I hadn't you know I was comfortable I knew that things were kind of progressing quite well um and I was just it was quite chilled out to suddenly then going to saying you know now it's time to push um I think I just probably had a huge rush of adrenaline um and I just got really really anxious um I felt a bit tearful actually before you know beforehand as well I was like I just oh my gosh you know this is actually happening um and then after I actually had her I was um I was shaking quite a lot afterwards as well and I think again it was just that adrenaline that's still kind of running through your body and it can be a really unnerving thing to to experience and go through but I think if you know that that's a possibility you might not remember at the time Mm. but maybe tell your birthing partner or something or whoever's going to be with you just to remind you because if you're feeling a little bit unsettled um, then it's really nice to have someone there to say, yeah, but remember, you know, that this is all part of it. This is okay. This is normal. You know, you're absolutely fine. You're doing really well. And mm. um, it's nice to just have that bit of reassurance um, during absolutely. that time. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, so she was born at 4.30 in the afternoon. Um, 
we've got kind of skin to skin time. My husband cut the cord. Um, and then obviously it's a little bit of a crazy time after that, (laughs) kind of, you know, clearing everything up essentially. Um, but it was nice to just have like those, those cuddles as well. Um, and just, just, just stare at her really. There is that point where they, they do cry initially when they come out and that cry is like the best thing to hear, but then they're very quiet Mm. after that aren't they for Mm. for a long for a little while as well so it's a a nice time to have Mm. Um, I remember saying to my mum actually what she's sleeping so much she's so quiet she's not doing anything what am I meant to do I thought I needed (laughs) to do things and my mum's like just enjoy this bit (laughs) exactly exactly um so my husband stayed for a couple of hours so their policy obviously again up and down the country it might vary but the ward said, you know, you can stay for two hours. They were very nice and actually let him stay for three hours because he was actually helping to kind of sort a few things out. Um, uh, so, yeah, they left us for a couple of hours, for a few hours. And then, um, unfortunately, then it was time for him to leave, mm. uh, which was which was hard. And then um, I had and then I was moved over to the to the postnatal ward. Mm. And how um, did you feel yeah. about? your partner leaving when you just given birth I mean it's such a vulnerable place to be anyway yeah exactly it is I think I think I I think I felt okay I didn't feel too it was I felt more sad for him that he had to go Mm. I think he said you know him actually having to walk out of the ward walk out of the hospital that didn't feel very you know that didn't feel very nice doesn't feel natural does it to actually be walking away from that type of situation whereas it you know I felt like I was at least still with her I still had her with me um but it was you know it, it wasn't nice saying bye um but I think I knew that I would be able to I was hoping that I'd be able to get home soon basically because everything had been okay. And because, um, you know, there weren't any complications. Mm. Um, I was kind of hopeful that actually I wouldn't, I would have like one night in hospital and then be able to get home the next day. Um, but definitely if I had to say, which was the hardest part, um, it is the postnatal ward bit because you're by yourself. Um, uh, so yeah, not having your partner there kind of takes away like it's, of a security blanket isn't Mm, it yeah and just having an extra pair of hands to help yes especially for that first (laughs) that first poo that was my first husband's first duty (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) but luckily luckily she did that actually whilst we were still on the on labor ward so he changed yeah he got he did the first nappy change oh and um it's funny how quickly you forget don't you think i've been through all this before i'll remember and he was like I can't remember the order of things and <laughs> what I need. Yeah. Um, and even handling them again as well, because obviously they're so floppy. <laughs> you're just, just you're trying to remember how to hold them. Um, I guess you said. Yeah, luckily he did that. <laughs> oh, used to having toddlers and things, you can, they're a bit more robust, aren't they? Yeah, um, exactly. Then, oh gosh, I remember thinking Amandine was just so fragile and like a little glass vase and trying not to break her. I was, I was so worried yeah. about winding her, especially, and how hard can you tap them on the back? And that was yeah. one of my main fears, I remember, when she was that little. Yeah, yeah. So, exactly. did you find, um, were the staff at the hospital um, wearing lots of PPE and was that okay? Or was that quite 
shocking or how did you I mean being a GP yourself I'm sure you're used to all of that um but for listeners who might be going into a hospital now is Mm -hmm. it quite different or yeah so I think um a lot of people um and I've had the same messages you know a lot of people are worried about going to a hospital or even going to a GP surgery Mm. and I would actually say in a strange way now is probably a very good time to go into hospital I know that sounds strange but because it's very quiet so Mm. all kind of routine appointments in hospital have been cancelled it felt like a ghost town going in there was no one around really you'd see the odd person walking along the corridor who worked there but there was no hustle and bustle that you usually get when you walk into a hospital and very much the same for the GPs as well, because they're trying to do um, telephone appointments at the moment. So the waiting room is empty. Um, you know, it's just in terms of people it's very, very quiet. Um, in terms of PPE, yes, everyone. So the midwives, they were wearing um, masks and gowns and gloves um you don't have to wear a mask um during actual labor they might it might be that they would like you to wear one when you kind of first come into the hospital etc um or obviously if you have symptoms or if you're known to have um covid um then obviously you'd have to um wear a mask then but um yeah they're all they're all in their ppe And you're right. In a way, I guess for me, because I'm medical and I've worn it before, I've seen, you know, colleagues wear it before in hospital. It's it's very normal for me. So I think that my I guess my perspective on that is a little bit skewed because it didn't you know, it it, it didn't phase me, fortunately. Um, So I but I think that if you were to give, you know, if you're giving birth now, lots of people on the streets are wearing masks and things. Mm. So I think in terms of that site it's not new now it's not it's not a novel thing and now that you know we're all having to wear masks if you go on public transport for example again um I would hope then that that's actually just become a slightly more familiar thing to see but everyone was so lovely I yeah our midwife was great actually when you're when we were in the room I completely forgot about what was going on you know the only clue that there's something different was that she was wearing PPE but actually nothing else changed at all um which was which was really nice and I think that actually if you're when you're in labor or you know if you're going in for a c-section for example your mind your mind just shifts a little bit um into kind of you know maybe you've kind of got blinkers on a little bit and you're kind of just more focused on on what is going to happen Mm. so I think you will I think most people will find that they actually probably forget about it um, Mm. for that period of time. Mm. What would be your biggest piece of advice to anyone going in to give birth right now? Good question. Sorry, putting you on the spot. (laughs) No, you know what, I've thought about it before and um, I think... I think one thing that was really helpful for me um, was looking into hypnobirthing, kind of mm-hmm. doing hypnobirthing, mainly because when you're you're doing it, obviously you have to start, you know, doing it at home um, and practicing all of those techniques. So for people who don't know much about hypnobirthing, essentially it's like um, 
that's like giving you relaxation techniques to, to use during um, labor or birth or even if you're, you know, waiting for to have a plan C-section, for example. Anyone who's about to have a baby can use it regardless of the type of delivery that you're going to have. Mm. Um, but I think the actual, um, uh, the actual practicing of it at home just helps with any anxiety that you might have about it. And it just teaches you skills and gives you tools that you can just call upon at any time. Um, so it's not just, you know, useful for all of those things, but you could even use it afterwards. You know, for example, if you're on the postnatal ward and things are feeling, you know, feeling a little bit overwhelmed, for example, you can just think, okay, you know, there are tracks, for example, that you can listen to, um, positive like affirmations like saying you know I can do this my body can do this etc um you know just even tapping into that and listening to something that's familiar and relaxing can be so helpful mm. so if you are feeling I'd say if you're feeling particularly anxious about about what's going to happen certainly looking into hypnobirthing practicing at home um could be really really helpful just for the whole process Mm. Um, I used to listen to those affirmations as I went to sleep when I was pregnant. Oh, yeah. It was so nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're so relaxing. I think my husband was, um, <laughs> he listened to one once because he thought, I just wanted to see what you're listening to. <laughs> so they're just really, really nice things to, to listen to and mm. just help you take your mind off things as well. Mm. Um, I know you just asked for one, but another thing that I would also say is just to, you know, um, uh, like uh I wouldn't say educate yourself but read up on you know all the different types of things that could possibly happen in hospital let's say um just because then I think you know you'll just feel a little bit more in control as well Mm. you know you're kind of empowering yourself with with knowledge um and information and so um you know reading about you know listening to for example you know people's birth stories who done this you know during this time even all of those things that's almost like a bit of preparation isn't it so to help you kind of visualize and get an idea of of what's going to happen and I think even yeah hopefully even listening to someone's experience will just make you think you know this isn't a big huge scary thing you know other people have done it I can definitely do it too Mm. as well oh absolutely I know we're running out of time and I'm conscious because your little one is being so amazing. No, that's fine, yeah. She's so chilled. (laughs) Are you happy to answer one question on allergies um, that we had through? Um, So they're asking, how did you find out that your elder daughter had allergies? Um, Are they hereditary? Are you worried about your newborn having allergies? And how do you go about managing it within your family? Yes. So in terms of when we found out, so we found out when she was six months old, actually, so when we, when we started weaning, um, which is very interesting because actually I had been exclusively breastfeeding her up until then. I hadn't excluded anything from my diet, so I was eating everything as well. Um, and she had seemed to be absolutely fine. But when we started off with weaning, um, we started off with baby rice. Mm-hmm. Um, and she noticed that she had a rash around her mouth then um and then also uh when we was trying her with yogurt as well she also had like a big rash that flared up prior to that maybe about a couple of weeks before that we'd actually were on holiday um we were on holiday and we hadn't started weaning her yet and but we were planning to when we got back 
Um, and she had accidentally got some ice cream on her hand. You know when you're sitting with them and they're just grabbing at everything? So she'd managed to like get some ice cream on her hand and then like rub it along her face. And about five minutes later, she had this, she had just like hives all over her face. Oh no. Poor, oh, poor thing. thing. I know. Um, so we were away. Luckily, because I maybe, you know, we're GPs, I guess we'd taken a bit of a mini pharmacy along with us. <laughs> she was fine otherwise, apart from the, the rash. Um, but we took her back to our hotel room, um, gave her some pyritons, like an antihistamine. And luckily it all settled within half an hour. But that's when we kind of had the first clue of, okay, there's something going on here. Um, but we thought, well, let's just let's just see how things go when we when we get back. Um, so tried her with a little bit of um, the baby rice and the yogurt, noticed exactly the same thing. We thought, okay, well, this is clearly something. Um, could it be the dairy then? Could it be egg? Because, you know, ice cream has got dairy and egg in it. So then we asked... Um, we set up a consultation with an allergy specialist and he did the skin prick test for mm-hmm. her. Um, but then it turned out, you know, we were thinking maybe she would only have one allergy. It turned out she has, you know, she had quite a few different ones. Really? Um, yeah. So she's allergic to dairy and eggs and sesame and all nuts as well. Um, so all of those kind of came up positive. Fortunately, I guess for us is that we found out you know, when we were weaning, um, I mean, I guess you'll always find out around that time anyway. Um, but that just meant that it could guide the way that we weaned her, I suppose. Um, so that's basically how we found out with her. Then we were, we've been under an allergy team ever since. Um, but it did make weaning hard um, because we're not used to, you know, I don't have food allergies. My husband doesn't have food allergies. No one in our families do. So it was, it's very much, you know, it's a huge thing to kind of get your head around and try and figure out how to navigate. Um, so I found that really, really difficult. Mm. And then also at the same time, she wasn't putting on weight as much as well. Um, so we were seeing a dietitian. I mean, all children, if you're under an allergy team, you will see a dietitian as well initially. Yeah. But because she was kind of lower in terms of her weight, they kind of kept an eye on her. But all of the things that you would think of that you could, you know, I would put in her food to, you know, give her extra calories like a dollop of cream cheese or, you know, a bit of butter, she was allergic to. So I was like, so it was a real, it was a real struggle. Um, but the dietitians were really great. And actually, this is where Instagram has also been really great as well, because there are a lot of accounts that will talk about like alternative ways to do things mm. and I think it's just finding out about them and knowing about them I think that if anything actually it's very difficult to have allergies but if there is a good time to have them it's now because there are so many different types of alternatives um yeah it, it, it's incredible the stuff that you can find yesterday actually, I actually went to the supermarket and I found um what was it it was a, a plant-based cream Oh, right. that you can whip up just like double cream you can, it whips up and will kind of that change oat- in texture as well is it by oatly There's, or something this one is um this one was elmley actually which uh, i haven't seen yeah. before um i think oatly do they definitely do a creme fresh as well mm. but you know there are exactly there are all these things that exist now um 
Amazing. It's just about knowing about them and mm-hmm. having your, you know, and, and being aware of them and thinking, okay, well, just this is what I can use instead and knowing what your options are and the alternatives. Um, but, yeah, it's very hard at the beginning because you start thinking, oh, they can't have this, they can't mm-hmm. have that. And for some reason, every single recipe I could think of had something that she couldn't have in it. It's really, it's um, really, really difficult to cut out things, especially dairy. That's really difficult. Yeah, exactly. I really hope so. there is a chance that she might grow out of the dairy and eggs. Um, I feel like the, the sesame and nuts generally are a little bit uh, more um, permanent, mm. but um, a lot of children do grow out of um, dairy and egg allergies. Um, so fingers crossed she's one of them because that would be really handy. But now it's, you know, now it's second nature, actually, to kind of in terms of managing her allergies um, and kind of what we make for her and what we know that she likes as well. Um, Do you find yours and your husband's diet has changed? Yes, and especially during lockdown as well, because um, we don't exclude all of those things from the house. So we still have milk and butter for example um we won't have them when she's around um we'll have like her her things with her but we still have them in the house Mm. um but during lockdown because obviously we've been eating before she went to nursery we've all been like sitting down and having meals together which has been really great um we've been cooking the same thing um and then eating it all together so also it's made us um kind of a bit more inventive as well um in terms of navigating her allergies uh but could we have done what we've done recently at the beginning i i don't think so i think it's very much a process you know that you kind of that you go through mm. um and will you expect your yeah. newborn to have allergies or is it not does it not work like that so you're right there is there is a genetic component to it so it'll be really interesting to see if she does have any allergies so i think what we'll do is um go back to our allergy um, consultant and just have a chat with him about what we should do. Um, There is some evidence that starting weaning um, a little bit earlier um, can be helpful if there is a strong family history of allergies. Um, So considering starting at about four months. Oh, wow, that's um, quite a bit earlier, yeah. Yeah, so um, we'll have to ask him kind of what his opinion is really, um, whether or not we should get some skin prick testing done for her as well. Um, and then take things from there. Um, so yeah, that's another thing to think about. And I kind of go through all the different scenarios in my head, you know, what if she doesn't have any allergies, but then her older sister has allergies, you know, how will that be in terms of the the dynamic between Mm. them? You know, one person can have one thing and you have to tell someone else they can't, if you're out, for example, um, what if this one does have allergies, but they're different allergies, um, so yeah, we'll just have we'll just have to see what happens. <laughs> yeah, and you'll manage it like a pro. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. But I guess you just kind of have to get on with it. Yeah, know? yeah, absolutely. Well, thank um, you yeah. so so much, Stephanie, for coming on and sharing all of your wisdom with us and your experiences. I really really appreciate it, and I'm sure the listeners do as well. Thank you. That's is there? Okay. Thank you very much for having me. No, my absolute pleasure. Is there anything else that you would like to share before we end our conversation? Um, I think just it's such a horrible time for so many reasons, 
But for me, it's actually been a really lovely time as well. Mm. Um, you know, I think having that time, um, especially in the newborn phase, just to chill out a little bit more, not have the pressure of lots of friends and family coming to visit. Um, you know, obviously I do miss my family, but not having that or not having the pressure of having to get to a class or, you know, mm. feeling like you have to do, be doing lots of things has actually been really nice. And, then, you know, a lot of people talk about this newborn bubble and I feel like it's been even more of a bubble because of all of this as well. So, you know, no matter what happens in hospital, even if your birth partner can't be there, you know, afterwards with you, you will have that time at home mm -hmm. as a family. Um, and actually it will probably be a really special time as well. And one that you look back on and think, oh my goodness, how did I do that? But, you know, it, um, you, you will, um, and actually you'll end up with, you know, a lovely little baby at the end of it as well. So it will all be totally worth it. Of course it will. And it has been, <laughs> it has been so joyous hearing her little squeaks and her little shuffles whilst talking <laughs> to you. It's been so nice. I miss oh, those yeah, little newborn noises. They do, don't they? Oh God, I miss them so much. Oh, it's so <laughs> sweet. Well, thank you again, oh. Stephanie. Thank you so much for coming on. Huge thank you to Stephanie for coming on the podcast and chatting through her birth story, her IVF journey with me, and of course, answering some of your questions. If you would like to connect with Stephanie, go and follow her over at the GP Mum. I'll link it in the show notes on Instagram. She shares so much fantastic medical information and knowledge, um, and of course, life with two children. Please do let me know that you are listening. I love hearing from you. Thank you all so much for your messages last week. I'm sorry there wasn't a podcast last week, but hopefully this chat with Stephanie makes up for that. Um, there's lots more to come. I can't wait to share it all with you. Please do go over and subscribe if you're not already. And thank you again to all of you who have left some new reviews up on um, Apple Podcasts. I really, really appreciate it. It. if you have a minute and you haven't done so already do please leave a review it just helps for other mums and dads and carers parents to see the podcast and you know what it may just help them along their journey and we may have covered a topic that will help them at some point have a lovely rest of your week and i will see you again next week on wednesday normal time bye <laughs>